How do we introduce our next guest? Played for multiple teams, a Super Bowl champion, one of the greats of the game, Rod Woodson. Rod, it's a massive welcome to your show. You're not just a Super Bowl champion, former football player. You've got your foundation, Hope Through Football, and you're also, I've been told, the honorary president of the London Olympians American Football Club. To say the least, Westwood One Radio as well, Rod. Uh, on Thanksgiving week, happy Thanksgiving, and a warm welcome Thank to you. the Irish NFL show. Well, I definitely appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I, you know, I've been so blessed to meet so many wonderful people, and now I get to meet you guys. And you know, the more the merrier. The the one thing I think the pandemic has done for everybody is that we realize it's really family and friends. That's what means everything. Everything else is fleeting. Everything else goes away, but family and friends they stay forever. Absolutely. And Rod, we, we asked this of every guest, especially our American guests. Uh, have you any Irish heritage yourself? Have you, have you ever been to Ireland? I, I know you're you know, obviously in contact with, with a lot of coaches in Ireland and the UK, but have you been over here yet? I have. So back in 1987, I was running track and we had a, a track meet there. Uh, I spent a total of four days there. Uh, loved it. I uh, can't remember the hotel we stayed in, but it was a it was a a lady who's making knitting sweaters in the hotel lobby, and I went up to her and I'm like, you know, like how much? And she was like, and I, it wasn't that much at the time. And I'm just like, I bought two sweaters. I still have them in my closet. They're they're the they're the best made sweaters that I've ever purchased in my life. I mean, I had them since 1987, and they look brand new. I mean, it's awesome. And then, so when it gets cold out, I throw one of those jokers on and I am warm. Well, you're certainly welcome uh, to pick up, come over and pick up another sweater uh, anytime you want. But um, you mentioned there that uh, you ran track. And I mean, if we take you back to your time at Purdue, yeah, something of a, of a superstar in, in college sports. You played both sides of the ball. You were an accomplished um, track and field athlete. You left Purdue with all sorts of records set, some of them still standing. Um, and um, you, were, you were going into the draft, and um, we heard we, there's a, the story is that Chuck Noll allegedly told Ton, Tony Dungy not to scout you because you weren't going to be there at 10. He wanted to take you, but you weren't going to be there. And then you were there. And obviously the Steelers are delighted and they picked you. Just wondering in terms of going to that um, organization, you know, for, for you, were you were you aware of the, the expectations? What what was it like to, to be drafted by the Steelers? Yeah, I mean, soon as I, so I, I get drafted on draft day, we fly, me and my uh, agent, we fly to Pittsburgh uh, that evening, and I remember walking into Three River Stadium into the office, and as soon as you walk in, four Super Bowl trophies are sitting right there. So you're like, you know the standard. Like, so as soon as I walked in, I'm like, okay, is either we're going to win or we're going to get fired here. So, you know, I, I think it was, I you know, I, I watched the Steelers growing up, uh, so I knew, you know, who Mean Joe Green and Chuck no and all those guys and when I got there Chuck was still the, the head coach uh Tony Dungy was the defensive coordinator and the defensive back coach but Donnie Shell was still playing Mike Webster was still playing and John Stallworth was still playing there so I got to 
be around the Super Bowl mentality. And the one thing that, about Pittsburgh is they have a saying, the standard is the standard. So you either adhere to the standard or you're not a Steeler. And I, you learn that at an early age. Uh, Chuck Noll told us as soon as we got there, we had five rookies in our secondary the year I got there in, in 87. And he told us that if we do not tackle, we do not play. And I'm like, well, that's okay. I can tackle. I'm a blue collar guy. You know, I'm going to tackle somebody. So I enjoyed it. You know, I got to meet Mel Blunt, who I think is the best corner to ever lace up uh, cleats in the National Football League. When they change a rule for an individual player, <laughs> you know you're doing something right. So they changed that, you know, that five-yard chuck rule because Mel Blunt was just so big, so physical way before his time. So uh, you do and you did feel, and they still do today, the standard that is set before anybody who's drafted by the Steelers, anybody who's signed by the Steelers, when you walk in that, that building, you have to adhere to a certain standard. And they'll take, you know, kind of like the craziness for a while. But after a while, they, they will get rid of those guys because they want, they want a good culture environment for inside the building. Um, and we've seen it. We've seen it over the years, you know. Uh, and I'm not saying Antonio Brown. I think Antonio Brown's a wonderful player. player but we've seen they, get rid, they got rid of him over the course of time, even though he's still a dynamic player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when he's playing. So, you know, they just have a certain standard. And if you don't adhere to it, you know, eventually uh, they will remove you from the building. Roddy, you mentioned the standard. We were fortunate to interview both Coach Cower and Kevin Colbert, the assistant general manager, and they both referred to the standard during both those interviews. Can you talk to us about throughout your experience with the Steelers in terms of working for Chuck Noll and obviously Tony Dungy, who went on to win the Super Bowl secondary coach at the time and then at a later stage of your career with Coach Cower? Yeah, you know, when I first got there, I mean, obviously, I know who Chuck Noll was. I mean, how do you, if you're, if you're watching football, you, you got to know who Chuck Noll is, especially back then, right? He's really the only Super Bowl winning coach has won back-to-back -back Super Bowl twice, right? Nobody else has done that ever in the history of football. So, you know, he, he, was, he was kind of intimidating because he accomplished so much. And I caught him on the last five years of his career. Um, so he, I, I didn't say a bunch to coach Noel, you know, I kind of, kind of, if, if he didn't say anything to me, I had a good day. Right. I mean, it's like, he wasn't, he didn't mess with me. I didn't mess with him, but if you did something wrong, he would let you know. And he did love on you. That's the great thing. Um, you know, and at the same time with, with Chuck, I think you felt that, you know, Chuck had a way of, he loved like reading literature. He, he loved reading books. So he would take a passage from his literature all the time and put it into the weekly message. And I remember him telling me the first week I got there is that just because you're athletic and you have talent doesn't mean anything in this league because everybody's talented. And that's why you, you, you know, guys get drafted. But it's the players who take their self-study, their peer study, their coaches study, apply that back in practice every single day and every single rep and apply that back in the games on a consistent basis. Those guys separate themselves from the average players who only play three years, three, four, you know, 3.9 years to a guy that can play 10 years and to a guy who can maybe be a hall of famer. And when he first said it, 
I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm a 21 year old guy. I think I'm all that anyway in a bag of chips. Um, and then he, you know, he didn't say it anymore. He said it once to me. And then we got a coach named, so Tony Dungy leaves after the first two years. Then we got a guy named Rod Russ who came in. And Rod said the exact same thing that Chuck said three years later. And it, it really challenged me as an athlete to be more than just athletic. And um, I, I, he, he cussed me out in a certain way um, in a walkthrough. And he told me that he would take me through how to study film. Um, and I remember going through that film study with Rod Russ. And after about five weeks, the little green light clicked on. I'm like, oh, this is, this is all they do? Oh my God, what the, are you kidding me? And he was like, this is all they do. And it was just, you know, I went to seven straight Pro Bowls after that. I went to 11 total. But without Rod Russ really challenging me as a, a human being, as a football player, to be more than an athlete, uh, I don't know if I would ever really would have changed. So, you know, those guys in my time frame was outstanding. And then, you know, Chuck Noll retires. And I get out. <laughs> I look how ridiculous and Tom Cates. And, you know, Bill is great. I love Bill because Bill was very fair. But it's the, it's Dick LeBeau was the one. Right. He was the mastermind. I mean, he could have been a Hall of Fame coordinator, coach, and he could. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame player. So he allowed he allowed me to be me inside of his system. And that system is still ran today by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, you know, I was very blessed to go to a franchise that had such a culture. And the one thing that the Steelers would do and that talking about the Rooney family, you know, Chuck Noel wasn't the sexiest name when they signed him as the head coach and Bill Cowher, I didn't know who Bill Cowher was. I remember I was on vacation and they said, Hey, you got a new coach for the Steelers. And I was like, who? And they're like, Bill Cowher. And I'm like, Bill, Bill, who, who's, where'd Bill come from? But they, they take men who can galvanize other men and can really make them play for not the back of the Jersey, but the front of the Jersey. And that's what Cowher was. And that's why they've only had three coaches in the history of their franchise. You got Bill Cow. I had Chuck Knoll, you got Bill Cower, and now you got Mike Tomlin. Uh, because they don't look for the X's and O guy. They're trying to find men who can galvanize other men and be a leader in front of them. Uh, and, you know, that's what Bill was. And I, you know, I love Bill Cower to, to death. Uh, still wish he was coaching, but he does a good job on CBS. Rod, you mentioned the legendary Dick LeBeau. Obviously, you you beat his interception record, but I think he said to you, yeah, but I did all mine at cornerback, which was his way of getting back at you back in the day. Um, it, it, it's funny, though. Um, you know, um, I was thinking about this. Thomas Edison, Alessandro Volta, there's various many great men that have been involved in electricity. And electricity seems to me to be a theme for your career. You... I believe went to Purdue because you wanted to study electrical engineering. You were undoubtedly electric on the field, one of the greatest secondary players the NFL has ever seen, fundamentally, lights out. But then equally, you're electric off the field in many ways, Rod. You've done an awful lot of work off the field. But even when we, as fans today, look at something that's now taken for granted, the idea of unrestricted free agency, the idea of players having a degree of control over their own destiny, um, everybody forgets this is only a reasonably recent invention and you were one of the core 
15 original plaintiffs to generate that and create that. And that ultimately it's benefited all NFL players immensely. I'm just curious, I mean, what drove you in relation to this? And what was that journey like? Because that obviously couldn't have been easy being one of those core individuals um, named in relation to the application, obviously, against the NFL in the first instance. Yeah, you know, I, I started playing football because my brothers played. I was the youngest of three boys. Uh, I only played because they were playing football. And I just got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit bigger. I was a skinny little fart when I was young, uh, you know, from my ninth grade year to my 10th grade year, I grew about two and a half inches, three inches, and I gained about 30 pounds. And, you know, that's where maybe the football, you know, I just got a little bit better in football at that point because I was a little bit bigger and a little bit faster. I've always ran track uh, my whole life. But I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, just doing the right thing. So when I first got drafted in the NFL, um, I remember it was in 1987. That was the holdout year for uh, in, in National Football League. And that's when I was running track. That's when I went over to, you know, my first place to go when I went over to Europe was to Nice, France. And then I eventually went to, to in, uh, Ireland. I went to different uh, places uh, over there running in, you know, that what they call the diamond circuit nowadays. Um, and I enjoyed that. But once I signed my contract and four years later, I wasn't, I couldn't become a free agent. That's what kind of blew me away. And I'm like, wait a minute, these guys have my rights. And if I don't play with them, I don't play. Oh, that's not fair. That's like, you cannot do that to people. I mean, it's no other job in the world that doesn't have freedom of choice. And that was our thing. And that was my thing. It's like, we should have freedom of choice. Um, and then I, I went through my second contract. And then once I finally left, um, you know, we decertified as a union. And then that's when we sued the NFL because as a union here in the U.S., you cannot sue your employers, but as an association, you can. So we decertified, became the Players Association, which we still are today, the NFLPA. Uh, we sued, we won, not knowing, you know, the onslaught of what it's going to look like today. We, we were just suing just to, you know, have freedom of choice. Um, and it, it, it's, it's where we're at today. It's just, it kept growing. The TV contracts kept getting bigger. Um, but, you know, we just, we just wanted that, to have that choice that if we didn't want to play for one team, we can play for another. Um, and I, I think that's the right thing to do. You know, my dad was a blue collar guy, never graduated high school. Um, but he left me one thing when he died. He left me his last name. And I, I, I just believe that I should live with such integrity that it brings honor to the last name and it doesn't bring shame because that's what he left me. So that's what I've done my whole life. I try to like always live with integrity, do everything the right way, uh, treat people kindly. Uh, I don't think I'm better than anybody else just because I played a sport and made some money. Uh, I'm just a country boy from Indiana that got to play ball, got to play a sport, and I still don't really understand why sports athletes that play a game that really doesn't change anybody's life, right, make so much money. Um, you know, that still kind of shocks me. But, you know, I was blessed to have a talent to get to play in the National Football League and had some great mentors along the way. Like I said, Chuck, Tony, Rod Russ, Dick LeBeau, Dom Capers, Bill Cower, 
so many great mentors along the way outside just in football, but then guys outside of football um, to lead me in the right path. And everything I have in my life is because of football. Everything I've really done in my life is because of football. I know a lot of stuff or a little bit about a lot, but I know a lot about football because I've been blessed with a lot of different coaches to just kind of feed into me. Um, and, you know, and I was hungry for it. And, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that I don't take myself too serious, but I do take my platform serious that, and I love ball. I love giving back to football uh, here in the U.S. and abroad. And, you know, the more I can do that and the more people who love the game itself, I'm happy. That actually leads me into my next on my final question. Hopefully it's okay to just do it on a round each fall very quickly. But, you know, you're talking there about your life after football. And could you maybe talk to us about your uh, hope? Uh, sorry, is it Hope for Football Foundation? Sorry, I got the name wrong. But uh, also, Rod, I should have said you're a pro football Hall of Famer class. I was in a nine in the intro and I didn't. My sincere apologies. It's my fault. My <laughs> no, bad. But no. of congratulations on that immortal honor in Canton, Ohio. Michael, my wife doesn't care I'm a Hall of Famer either. <laughs> <laughs> she makes me take out the trash with my go jacket on and my ring. She'll like, get, just take the trash out. All right, just right now. But anyway, um, you know, hope through football. So when I played, I had a foundation called Woodson Charities. And I did a camp um, for 15 straight years in my hometown. Um, and I loved doing it. And I got away from it when my kids got a little bit older to spend a little bit more time with them. Now they're older, they're 21 to 31. And uh, when I got fired by the Raiders, um, I was like, you know, what can I really do? What, 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 what can I give back? How can I give back to the grassroots effort? Because I think you really got to reach the kids at a grassroots effort to really change their lives and, and plant seeds in them. And I'm like, it was me and a lady named Loretta Hayes Hill, we were sitting in a hot tub in Mexico and we were like, oh, let's, let's start our own foundation. And we started thinking up names. I'm like, what about Hope? And then we we're like, yeah, that's a great name. And then we just came up with helping our youth practice excellence through football because sports can teach you so many good things. And it's not just football, but sports in general can teach us how to work together. We all don't have to get along, right? I mean, in football, you got 53 guys in a locker room everybody don't think alike. Everybody doesn't look alike. Everybody's not from the same background, but we have one common goal when we step on the field and that's to win and work together. And that's what I like promoting. I like promoting that we can work together, even though that we are different, even though we may look different, uh, we can still have that same outcome. And at the end of the day, I think sports can teach young players and young kids how to, when they see themselves in the mirror, to appreciate and believe in the person they see in the mirror. Because there's so many kids that you that don't believe in who they are. And if they don't believe in them, who's gonna believe in them? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, they need to have that self-confidence. And I think sports can give that to you. I've seen kids who come in very shy and over the course of maybe a year or so, year and a half, you see them kind of blossom into a different person because they've had success on a court, on a field, you know, on the track, whatever it might be, whatever that sport is. And then they take that to school with them. And that really changes their mindset about who they are. Um, you know, because we always tell kids to be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you are today. 
And the only way you can do that is be honest with yourself. But you only can be honest with yourself when you see the person in the mirror and you're, when you like the person in the mirror. Because if you lie to the person in the mirror, nothing's good is going to happen to you, right? Because, you know, people always say, you know, you can look for outside help. And I tell kids all the time, the person that can help you is the person that's looking you in the mirror. That person can help you more than anybody else. And you have to believe in that person. So that was one of the biggest reasons I started Hope Through Football again, uh, to kind of give belief to kids across not just the U.S., but internationally. Uh, the kids are all the same. They all struggle mentally, uh, especially with the pandemic and the way it's hit a lot of people and a lot of families and a lot of kids. Um, and I, I just, I feel it's my obligation to give back. And if I don't give back, I'm a selfish person and I don't want to be selfish. Well, you're, you're definitely not selfish. And that what you're saying there around camaraderie, and I suppose the team working together, I mean, that is the essence of, of achieving a goal. And I'm thinking that we have, we've been very fortunate to have had on this show a couple of Super Bowl winners. We had Mike Singletree from the 85 Bears. We keep to leave from the, the Browns. Oh, yeah. Zone. But you joined the, the Ravens and you were part of, I suppose, what's arguably the meanest, baddest defense that the NFL has ever seen. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience with the Ravens and winning a Super Bowl? Yeah, okay. First, Colm, did Mike Singletary, when you had him on, did he smile? Mm. <laughs> did he smile at all? A little touch, bit? Touch, touch and go, Rod. <laughs> see, every time I see Mike Singletary, I walk up to him, I say, give me a smile, Mike. Give me a smile. <laughs> and then he smiles for me because he never smiles. I'm like, dude, you're too serious. Like, life is too short to be that serious. Um, but, you know, going back to the, you know, the 2000 Bears, or excuse me, 2000 Ravens, we knew, I mean, it, it didn't happen in 2000. It really happened in 98, right? I got there in 98. Uh, we kept, and it really had the, the same stuff that I learned in Pittsburgh. Cause that's when Tony, so Marvin Lewis was our linebacker coach in Pittsburgh for a couple years. Then he now he becomes defense coordinator in Baltimore. He calls me and is like, we got a lot of talent. We just don't know how to win yet. So can you come and help me like kind of set the tone? So when I got there, everything that we used to do in Pittsburgh, all the meetings, all the scheduling individually, just as players, not with coaches, just with players. I took there and the first year, Got a little, they didn't like it. They didn't like meeting on our own all the time. Um, you know, the first year was probably, you know, they probably stayed 15 minutes. You know, they wanted to get out. Uh, the second year's a little bit better. We cut a couple of those guys who didn't really want to buy into the, to the, I mean, the whole process. And then once we cut that second group in that third year, that's when everything clicked. And I, I think Marvin Lewis became one of the best defense coordinators in the National Football League that year. He had some great game plans, but then he would also listen to us. So he might have something that he wants to call and we'd be like, oh, man, we don't, we don't kind of understand, we don't understand the, the defense that you want. And he would scrap it. And that to me makes a really good coordinator when they start listening to the players because the players are want to have to play. And, you know, Ray Lewis was a young, third year player when I first got there. And I, I remember him, he was like, you know, I, I led the team in tackles. I'm like, well, that's great. There's 31 other guys like that. There's 31 other guys that lead their team in tackles. 
how do you become the best player? How do you become great? How do you become excellent and excel at something is make big plays and big games and big moments. And that, that'll define your destiny. And in that third year, we played the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round. End of the game, Eddie George comes out and runs a little option route. Uh, McNair throws it. It bounces off of Eddie George's hands right into the lap of Ray Lewis, and he runs it in for a touchdown to kind of seal the game. And that's the year we won the Super Bowl. And when he came to the sideline, and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That is the big play that will define who you are over the course of your history, over the course of your playing career. And that, that was like the, like the birth of the great Ray Lewis. That, that one play was an indication of what he was going to become. And he arguably became the best middle linebacker the game ever saw, but also probably the best leader I think the game ever saw because all the stuff that happened to him in that third year leading up to it, um, guys can kind of resonate when they do things wrong. They kind of feel who he is and how he overcame that. Um, so, you know, going there, arguably, I think it was the best defense ever to lace it up on a given year. Rod, that move to the Ravens also coincided with your, your I suppose you making a positional change to safety from corner. Was that something that you intended? And I suppose, how did you adapt to that situation? Well, you know, my whole life I played safety. So when I was nine years old for the Powell Raiders, I was a safety and running back and receiver. I went to high school, went to junior high. I was a safety running back receiver again, went to high school. I was a safety running back receiver, went to college. I was a safety receiver, little running back. I run my 40 at the combine. They were like, oh, you're going to play corner. And I'm like, what, what corner? Like, I don't know how to play out there. Uh, but luckily for me, I did have Tony Dunst and Tony helped me kind of, you know, he, if you know who Tony is, Tony doesn't raise his voice. He's so nourishing and loving. So he helped me kind of transition my way through to learning the position. And it took me about two and a half years to really learn the position to play, how to play corner. So moving back to safety, once I got to Baltimore, it was kind of like a, you know, you, you're gone all day from the house and you come home and you sit on the couch and you go, oh, man, I feel really good. My feet like Sarah. Thank you. That's what it was like for me. It's like I, I moved to the position and it was a learning curve again because I had to readjust my thinking. But it was it was kind of refreshing because that's what I was. I played my mentality was a safety the whole time I played corner. I just had to adjust it a little bit from playing out there. Then when I moved back inside, it was really fun again. Um, and I, but a quick story, one of my first preseason game that I had to play against, we played against the Atlanta Falcons. That's when they had Jamal Anderson. And Jamal Anderson was 6'3", 235. And I came down, hit him, and I like stood up and my helmet went down on me. And I got this scar, I don't know if you guys can see it. I got, a, I got like a scar like right here, indention. That was from Jamal. And I'm bleeding, this coming down on all sides of my face. And I look at Ray. I said, man, I don't know if I can do this, man. <laughs> this safety stuff. I don't know about this now. Uh, but then, you know, I just learned. I just learned how to not hit them so high uh, when they got big guys like that, to hit them a little bit lower. Um, so it was, it was a natural progression and a natural transition for me, but it was refreshing also. 
Rod, um, obviously, and just one final question for you. Obviously, this week is Thanksgiving week. I know you're on the call for the for Westwood One on the Bills versus Saints game. Um, another team's playing this week, obviously, is the Raiders. You're on the call with the Raiders and Chiefs the last week with them as well. So you're you're you've got plenty of views, I'm sure, on the six teams that are gonna be playing on Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is all about giving thanks very much. And you kind of shared a lot of the thoughts about how you've given thanks back through your foundation, through hope, through football and things like that. But also as fans, like, I mean, we, we look at your career and the greatness you've worked with. I mean, we haven't even touched on brief stop in the 49ers with Mariucci and Young. You were with the Raiders with the legendary Al Davies. I mean, your era and your career has straddled from the Elway, Marino and uh, Montana regime that free-to-air fans in the UK and Ireland got to know initially. And you were finishing playing with Brady and Manning, for example. I mean, I, I have to ask, in all of that time, all of that experiences, not necessarily people you played with, because I appreciate that will put you in a bit of an awkward position. And, you know, you might not get as many Christmas cards this year if you answer that one, honestly. <laughs> but in terms of offensive players you played against, who was the one, maybe it's going to be Jamal after that story you just told, but who was the one that gave you the most challenge where you looked and went damn this is tough that that's greatness as you're alluding to with with Ray Lewis. yeah well I, I can say this I'll, I'll do it two ways so as receivers I mean I did play against Jerry but I only played against Jerry Rice once right so I can say Jerry who was the best receiver to ever play in the national well like that is like not even a question but the guy who I played every year who really gave me some headaches was Webster Slaughter for the Cleveland Browns. He was 5'10-ish, quick, create separation off the break. That's like the worst case scenario for DB. He hates receivers that can create separation off the break. And then probably two years later, three years later, that's when Andre Reed comes in. And Andre Reed is just as big as I am. He, he might be a little bit tall. He might be 6'2-ish. He was about 220. Most slot receivers are like Webster Slaughter, 5'10", 185. So I could like, if I get my hands on Webster Slaughter, he's not going anywhere. Or I put my hands on Andre Reed and he slapped him off. And I was like, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta change my game plan with this guy. This guy's strong as I am. So I think those two guys were the guys receiver-wise that gave me a lot of issues. There was only one running back in my time frame that I was scared to hit. A guy named Kevin Mack for the Cleveland Browns. He had no neck. I think he just had a head and it went right to his shoulders. He didn't have no neck. I mean, it just, everything was broad. And the guy would like, one game, he knocked out three of my defenders. He knocked out Greg Lloyd, Thomas Everett, and Larry Griffin all in the same game. And I remember I'm, Webster Slaughter's trying to block me. He, there was a running play and he comes out to my side. And I'm like, I'm like, how am I going to tackle this dude? Like, what in the world? And I take Webster and I threw him down, and he tripped over Webster. I'm like, whew, man, I don't got to tackle that dude. And I touched him for a tackle. I'm like, okay, I, hey, can somebody get to this guy before I have to hit him? I mean, he was the only guy that I was really ever, like, trying to figure out, like, how I was going to hit this guy. And then, but as a defense, like a defensive unit, Barry Sander was the only back we ever game planned. I mean, that guy, we never let our, our edge rushers speed rush against him because if you go one way, if you go up, he's coming back. And if he has that crease, 
man, it's, it's tough tackle that kid. That guy is like one of the best ever in space. So he was the only one in my 17 years that we ever game plan for running. Well, I think, you know, we, we've had, we've been very fortunate to have had a number of guests on over the last couple of years. And uh, this has genuinely been, if not the, like my favorite or the best, like definitely the most enjoyable one that we've had. And just hearing your stories about your career and also life after your career, it's it's been fantastic to, just to listen to. I want to wish you, your family, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the call on Thursday in, in New Orleans. Hopefully it's going to be a good game. Drew Brees back in, in in New Orleans and and also we usually invite people to Ireland and say look we'll, we'll get you a pint if 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 you if, if we meet you over here but look if we meet you over here we'll uh, get you a sweater or two maybe we can <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much Rod for coming on I appreciate you guys man enjoy blessings to y'all <laughs>